Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. In a previous episode of Change Within podcast, I talked about life being a point of view, with the glass being half full or half empty. William Shakespeare said, There's nothing, either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. We often live our lives going down the same rabbit paths of thought, never taking the time to deeply examine our thoughts and the formative aspects they have on us. Examining these habitual, unconscious thoughts that come out of our beliefs allow us to consciously adopt a more powerful and positive point of view. Our guest today is going to explore with us her point of view about life being a point of view. Peggy Dean is one of the few master trainers of neuro-linguistic programming, a title which she earned from her many years of studying with the co-founder Richard Bandler. She's also a certified trainer of coaches and a professional coach herself. Peggy, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So let's just dive right in. So if life is a point of view, what is your point of view and how did you develop this? Well, our point of view affects our health and our success and our outlook on life. And that determines the degree of joy and happiness we experience. So if we believe it, then it's true for us. So not seeing is believing, but believing is seeing. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) We're affected uh, or develop our point of view early in life. A model that has affected me deeply is uh, the compass or the 360 degree. If you can imagine a circle of 360 degrees, and let's say that that represents... uh, probably the possible points of view that I could be exposed to or beliefs I could be exposed to that would affect me. And so we're born uh, with maybe, say, compass point 7 and 9 and 39, you know, and then we develop more as as we grow. Although many people through their life, from their family, uh, from the experiences they have, do not broaden their points of view. You know, they stay with the 7 and 9 and 39. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know some people like that. (laughs) So for us to to really enjoy our lives and happiness in this world where we're exposed to so many different points of view, you know, if we can at least uh, experiment with or open our mind to those points of view, whether we accept them as true for ourselves, we can acknowledge that they're true for other people and that they live their lives by them. You ask, how did I develop my point of view? Um, I grew up on a remote ranch in New Mexico where survival was a priority. I learned early that it took us all of us working together to survive. And nature was a determining factor in everything. You know, one year we'd have a wonderful crop because it rained at the right time. The next year the hail might destroy it. You know, we never knew. Uh, Here we are in present times where climate change gets our front and center attention and it will take us working together to change it. So I developed a point of view early in my life that nature is always to be considered and it takes all of us together to survive and I still 
acknowledge that as as true for our lives today, even as life becomes more complex. <laughs> so how has that uh, point of view that you developed early in life, how has that carried through and affected your life? Well, there was 20 years of working in advertising and public relations for a multinational company, uh, also for a bank and for an audiovisual business, uh, where I was in touch daily with management and employees and customers from various countries. Um, although profit was a mission for the organizations for them to survive, I, can, I continued to hold an, and espouse my point of view of nature and the power of working together. So that's continued through all my life. For the past 35 years, I've developed skills for carrying out my point of view, and I've been training and coaching leaders here around the world. The inner capacities of reflection and critical thinking and creativity and imagining and clarifying values are human development skills necessary for effective leadership. So the past 10 years, I've worked with the Gene Houston Foundation in preparing leaders with these skills in order to challenge those leaders to broaden their points of view. Do you have any stories about, in your corporate life, how you um, altered the flow of things by sh presenting a different point of view? Maybe in nature you brought it into a competitive corporate world? Although I organized uh, small groups of employees to do nature exploration and to get out and especially in the summertime and ride bikes and, you know, be in touch with nature. Um, more consistently, I focused on that it takes all of us together to be successful. I had in my mind, I knew that if the leaders of the company who made the big decisions could get that if all of us work together, if the employees themselves were well-informed and enrolled and saw this company as as important to them that the profits would grow, that the production would be higher, the productivity. So I focused on that and being in public relations uh, it was easy for me to write those kinds of stories in the employee newsletters and in meetings with management to bring up uh, possibilities of employees and management working together. Ah, so you took the um the nature, the cooperative uh, survival nature of nature and brought that into the corporate world which then uh, enhanced people's working together, is that? Yes, okay. yes. And behind that all, although I never voiced it so much in, in the city, is my experience in growing up in the country of how dependent every aspect of nature is for mutual survival. Oh, so you grew up on a ranch in what was New it? Mexico. New Mexico. Yes. That experience gave me as a child that truth, really, that when we all work together, then we can all survive and, and thrive. Wow. Yeah. So tell us more about um, a point of view shaping life. I, how did, what, what are the mechanics of that? Or? You know, of how it's shaped my life? Yeah. or how a point of view shapes everyone's life, really, because whatever we believe is true for us, and we act according to those beliefs, and so then we, can, we create our world in that way. Uh, I think you, you, in a conversation you had mentioned uh, about uh, believing that 
I think a restaurant experience. Do you remember that? Oh yes, um, I would go to lunch with someone, and they would always check the bill, and it was always wrong. So I got, I decided, oh, I've been really naive. So I took a calculator every time I went to a restaurant, and uh, and I checked the bill with the calculator, and it was usually right, or if it wasn't, it was sometimes in my favor. So. The only difference was he thought the bill was going to be wrong, and I always thought it would be right. So that that point of view shifting, altering our experiences, I guess. Yes, I had an experience in the in my time in the corporate world with um, a manager that I reported to, or a director actually, um, that he was yelled at people. Uh, was unreasonable, would cut them off in the middle of their sentences, would ask them to justify something they had done, and then he wouldn't let them fully explain, which I think for many people, it took them back to when they were children and their parents wouldn't let them explain. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) And he never once did that with me, and people could not figure out why that was. And it was my point of view. My point of view is that everyone respected me as long as I was worthy of being respected. And so I expected with him that he would treat me with respect, that he would not yell at me, uh, that he would explain what he needed, that he would allow me to explain. And uh, that was true for five and a half years. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Part of that too is that I didn't go, I didn't, I wasn't overly wordy in my explanations knowing that he had an impatience, uh, so I made it easier for him to respect uh, conversations with me. So point of view comes out of your belief about things. Can you talk a little bit about point of view and belief? Well, it's interesting that beliefs are not are usually not facts. If they were facts, then they wouldn't need to be beliefs. Beliefs are what we hope will, be, will become true, or that we hope is true. After a while, they do become in that category of actual for us because we believe it so strongly and we act upon it, and then we think we know it's true. So, you could say, what is it Shakespeare said? If we, if we believe it to be... There's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> if we think it, we can make it so if we act on it long enough. You know, so then our experiences that come back at us reinforce that same belief. Yes, in some way we attract, we expect, and notice things that are that that support our beliefs, and things that don't support our beliefs, we find ways to minimalize them or ignore them. So why shouldn't we all just stay with our own beliefs and our own points of view? I mean, what's why? Why do we need to change? I think within all of us, there's a desire to improve, to grow, to experience something new. Uh, Some people are afraid to expose themselves to that, but there's still that sense of wanting it. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we can grow and inform ourselves more is that just in our casual conversations with people is to deeply listen, listen to their point of view, and maybe ask those questions about how, how did you come about knowing that uh, and discovering uh, 
how they formed their point of view. And sometimes asking, well, what if it weren't true, just to see if how solid their <laughs> point of view is. And, and also maybe to entice them to, to examine another point of view. So you had, you had an exercise where you got, where people would um, adopt different points of view. Do you remember that? Where three chairs or three? Oh, yes. One of the things uh, in, in my coaching practice, ah. uh, we do what we call the three chairs. And that is when someone has a, maybe it's a situation like my, I want my boss to stop yelling at me. And uh, so I might ask the client to sit in the, the their chair of number one themselves and their point of view and then to to imagine that they're the boss and how does the boss experience the same situation um, and then ask them to sit in the third chair which is kind of a meta position like a fly on the wall in other words not the boss's uh, point of view and not their not the client's point of view to see it as like an outsider and I find always there's some kind of discovery that the client has about situation. I can think of one like that. And when she sat in the boss's chair, she realized that his tone of voice and volume was like her father's. And her father had been very verbally abusive with her. So she was really overlapping a memory um, or an experience that was traumatizing to her just because of that sound of voice. As soon as she realized that, then she it, it took away the, the uh, fear that she had or the frustration, and she was able to hear her boss in an entirely different way. Wow. So that, wow, that shifted then. Yeah, just by sitting in the <laughs> chair and being her boss for a few moments. So have you ever have you ever used time um, timeline to affect a different a point of view? Can you? Oh yes, uh, frequently use that in in the coaching that I do uh, is to ask someone to imagine that there's a, their timeline that stretches out into the future and stretches back into their past, and uh, and then the, them being in the present. And to imagine they can float up above that timeline and go back in the past or go forward in the future. Uh, and especially if there's some kind of situation that's been troubling to a person um, uh, that's maybe even caused a phobia, they can float back and see that before that situation happened, they were safe and comfortable. They can float forward after that situation and see that they were also safe and comfortable. So it was just this isolated situation. And just even doing that gives them that kind of breath of relief that, oh yeah, there was a start and finish to it. <laughs> and then sometimes they realize it's over. It was just this experience. And then also, once they, they're able to see that, we're able to focus on it and shift it. Do you ever um, use that to like, um, I mean, like when I have clients like that, I, I have them go before and then, or looking above and they can see things that they in the moment couldn't see and they can sort of reframe it. Do you use that? Oh well, yes. And I think also as they're floating up above that, they're, they've removed themselves from those emotions 
that ah. were in those experiences because they're up above their timeline as though they were another person, uh, you know, viewing it. So then do you have them, uh, like, go through the experience again with a, a different point of view? or does Sometimes. That... That, that Or also sometimes if it's a traumatic situation um, and they're able to identify what that younger self would have needed, maybe uh. it's comfort, maybe it was knowledge, then since they're already an older self, right, they've already gone past that experience, for them to be able to imagine that they float down into that experience and bring the knowledge or the information or the comfort that that younger self needed. Oh, so it's kind of like the younger self gets the comfort and protection of the older self? Yes. Ah. Yeah, so it's like bringing what I, what I know now back to that younger self that didn't know it then. <laughs> so it's an integration. Ah. Yeah. And And so then what happens in the future? Do you use the... You talked about the timeline having a future and a past. Do you ever use the future? Oh, one of the interesting things that we do with timeline is um, when someone's planning their future, is for them to float out in the future five years or ten years and then turn around and look back to the present self and give information to the present self that's important. Oh, about what what they're going to need to do to get to that place, that tenure place, or to encourage them, whatever's needed. Mm. Have you personally had an experience of that, or? Oh, I do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what well, we've even had people in our classes uh, write a letter to themselves, and then we'll hold the letters and then give them back to them a year from now. So they'll write a letter about whatever advice they'd want to give to that future self. And has that um, proven to be fruitful or what? I've gotten, usually we, we mail the letters to, to the class members. And I probably get more response from that than, than other times, you know. So people, they f- people remarking about that they had forgotten all about the letter and then to receive it a letter from themselves. <laughs> And some are excited because actually they had taken the advice and did it, and others, you know, are saying, oh my goodness, this reminds me of what I committed to myself. And so they renew their commitment. Oh. Do you have any processes that would help someone uh, change their point of view to be more positive? If, or any ones that we've not dis- discussed? Well, Sure. We could go on and on between you and I. We could, we could do a whole day worth of processes, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the timeline is one of my one of my favorites. There's so many ways you can can work with that. I think also habits are and behaviors are an important area. Most times when clients come to me, it's a behavior they want to change or a habit, and so one of the first things that we do is examine. Because I believe, my point of view, is that there's a positive intention behind every behavior. And so we examine what is that positive intention for a person's behavior. For example, um, I'm finding myself eating pastries and sugar and candies and so forth, uh, much more than's good for me. 
so if I look at what's a positive intention, it's usually that I'm not feeling enough love or I'm lonely. So if I can find another way to satisfy those that need, then I don't have that craving for the sweets. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or another example, if, if we have time, um, is with a client that I had in Georgia uh, who was a smoker. And he came to me and wanted to quit smoking. And as we all know, that's not an easy habit to change. Right. Well, the first thing that we did was look at what were the positive intentions um, behind his smoking. In other words, what was he getting out of it? What was he gaining? And it was to help him wake up, um, to pace himself with a cup of coffee, um, to socialize with people at work, to soothe his frustration and rush our traffic, um, to ground himself after sex, to relax before going to bed. So there were numerous in, intentions that were being satisfied by his smoking. So he stood in the circle uh, of smoker. We drew, we drew on the floor two circles. One was for smoker and the other was for non-smoker. So standing in the circle of smoker, we identified all these positive intentions of smoking. And uh, I said, well, what would you call yourself, the smoker, this circle you're in? And he said, Marlboro Man. <laughs> and what, so then we, I asked, what would you call the non-smoking one? And he said, Aikido Man. So over the next few weeks, we explored what his positive intentions were as Marlboro Man. But then he would step over into the circle of Aikido Man and identify how he would satisfy that positive intention. In other words, how would he still be able to easily socialize with people at work if he were a non-smoker? Or relax uh, in traffic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. Uh, so after a while, there were so many details in the non-smoker circle. Uh, oh, experiences. Of, of his that life he... would be, uh-huh. That, that was more attractive to him than the, not, than the smoker. So there was a point, one... Uh, our last session, actually, in which I tried to pull him out of the Aikido man circle, and he went, "I'm staying." He said, "I didn't. I don't even have cigarettes anymore. I threw them away before I came." He had already come. <laughs> he was a non-smoker. He had finally taken on and was doing those things to satisfy his needs. Wow! So he shifted his point of view. Yes, and his, and then that shifted his belief about himself. That he was a non-smoker. Absolutely. It shifts his identity from smoker to non-smoker. And, and do you use those um, positional places to shift beliefs? Or, the, you yes, know, like the uh, difference I, on the floor, the two circles? Oh, it, it's kind of fun to find out. Because as people or human beings, we think in, in spatial relationships, you know. So if... If, I, if someone said to me, Peggy, where do you hold a strong belief, like that the sun comes up every morning and so forth? And I would go, well, it's kind of up to my left, like up in the corner. And then what's something that I would doubt or, don't, or no longer believe? Um, I no longer believe that... Oh, there's a Santa Claus or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And that's over to my right, uh, kind of island, kind of 
eye level. So that's where that's a position where I don't believe something. So now they say I would like to believe that I can um, I can easily remember my speech. I don't believe that now, but I would like to believe it. So I'll imagine that I zoom it up into that place of strong belief. And my doubt, I will move over here into the place where I doubt. Ah, okay. Huh. So, and does that work? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. I was doing it for real. It does, yeah. Oh, you, uh, that, oh so she was, I'm watching um, Peggy's eyes, and, and she was uh, shifting from one position to the other, and she just, you could see it. Her whole body shifted. <laughs> Yeah, there was a there was a bit of anxiety that I'd had about not remembering my presentation. Uh, it's gone. Wow, oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm ready for it. <laughs> uh, so, any other tips that you um, want to give people for well, shifting? People can be r really creative in terms of getting different perspectives. I mean, the helicopter or butterfly, you know, where you can imagine that you float up above your situation and you can look at it from behind you and over from the side, you can float right down in the middle of it um, and uh, just see what different perspectives you get. An example, uh, my son had an awful fight with his father and he was totally blaming it on his father. So then I asked him to imagine that he could float around and behind his father and look over his father's shoulder at his own face in that fight. And when he did that, he went, no wonder my dad was so mad. He said, I, I was really arrogant, wasn't I? I was really awful looking. <laughs> <laughs> but just by being able to get his father's point of view, wow. you know. And so what about words or um, reframes or stuff like that? Do you ever find those useful in shifting a point of view? Sometimes casual ones are fun, but very seriously we can, uh, can reframe. Find, in other words, find another use for something that's not useful to us. Or, or I tease my friends sometimes, someone will say, I had to pay so many taxes this year, you know, and I'll go, wow, you must have made more money then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think reframing is finding the, the, the positive aspect of something, you know, another side of it. And even if a behavior is not useful, for example, my great-granddaughter, um, she just talk, 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 and she doesn't listen at all. And so she gets marked down at school for it, and her parents are on her about it. So she and I sat and brainstormed about where it would be useful to be able to talk like that. And we found three or four different examples, you know, that were really good. But the value of that was that as we found the ones that were good, then she also became more and more aware of when it was not good. <laughs> ah, okay. So it began to shape her point of view about her ability to talk nonstop. <laughs> well, in the last few minutes, are there any final points you'd like to make about point of view? Yes, I think at least three. It's essential to these 
rapidly changing times that we're all experiencing to examine and adjust our perspectives. Um, one of the adjustments we need to make is internally how our values and beliefs fit with whether we walk our talk. In other words, are we doing and saying what we say is our values and beliefs? For example, a person uh, might say that family is the utmost importance to them, and then when they have free time, rather than help their son with a math problem, they go and, and play golf. Another call for realignment is when something drastic changes in our external life, for our children are all gone, and we find ourselves empty nesters. And now, when we did have this point of view that organized everything around children, now we need to shift that point of view so that a priority is us. And do we downsize our house? Uh, how do we spend our money? Where do we vacation? All of those questions that now change with a different point of view. I see. That's true. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? The other point that I was wanting to make is that there's daily opportunities for us to make a difference in this rapidly changing world. And, you know, we think big when we say the world, and yet our daily world is our family and our community and, and then beyond. For example, what I can do on a daily basis in my interactions with everyone. For me, a point of view I have is I want to spread kindness and love. And how many opportunities today will I have a chance to do that? As I'm looking at what can make a difference in the community and the world, uh, September 21 and 22, there's an international peace conference that's happening right here in Ashland. And what can I do to contribute to that? Because peace is a big point of view for me. So internally keeping your values aligned with making a difference to keep the world a peaceful place. And it becomes reciprocal. You know, if, if I say this is what I value and this is what I believe, and then if I take action and, and do, uh, then that strengthens my belief even more. Well, in the last few minutes, um, I understand that you give coaching sessions to people. Yes, I do. I am available for coaching sessions and I offer an initial free exploratory call. It can be reached at 214-287-6400. That's 214-287-6400. Or email ppc at mindspring.com. That's ppc at mindspring.com. Well, thank you very much, Peggy Dean, for joining me here and having such a lively discussion about point of view. Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, That's been great. I hope you'll come back. So you don't miss any of our shows. Make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.